The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Today I'm joined by Jess. For those of you who have listened to earlier episodes, Jess is the wife of Brian from episode eight. Once Brian's episode was released and she had a chance to listen to the show a couple of times, Jess reached out to me. She suggested a spouse may be able to add a different light and point of view when it comes to trauma, the effects of trauma on the firefighter, and the effects of it all on a spouse, kids, and home life. She sat down with me and we discussed her experience and she gives some advice to other spouses as well. I found this to be a valuable conversation and I hope it reaches the audience that it deserves. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder, you know, love or care about y'all enjoy the show. Yeah, so we're actually, I just have it recording as we talk, as we bullshit a little bit. And like I said, I'll do an introduction for you, and then we'll just talk, we'll just tell a story. Okay. It's actually simple like that. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Believe it or not, I get nervous when I still record, and it's stupid, especially, I, yeah, I just, I stumbled over my words for the first, so I, this is why I do this little bit at the beginning. All right, so joining us today is Jess. Jess is married to Brian. Brian was on the show. Do you remember when, Jess? A couple, a month and a half ago, I think. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Okay, so Jess wanted to come and talk to us from the standpoint of being a spouse of a firefighter, which so that she's technically my first non-firefighter guest, and she's been married to Brian for five and a half years. They have two kids of their own, and she has a bonus daughter. I'm going to let her tell a little bit of her story, where she grew up, what life was like when she grew up, and then we'll go from there. How are you doing, Jess? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. So yeah, so just a quick little background history on me. I grew up in Centerville, Virginia. At about, I don't know, 16 years old, I decided I wanted to volunteer, be a volunteer firefighter, uh, EMT, so to speak, I joined the Centerville Volunteer Fire Department at that time, doing a lot of ride-alongs. And then eventually I went into going to EMT school and doing a little bit of stuff on board. I rode the medic a little bit, but most of the stuff I handled was BLS on the ambulance. They were a also a mixture, and I believe they still are, of volunteer and career staff at Station 17 there. And then after, that's really the only extent of fire service I have other than being married to Brian, obviously. In about, at about two, October of 2010, I moved with my family down to Raleigh. I was there for a little bit, got into the field of education down there. And it kind of, it to me, it wasn't home. I was still up here visiting friends and everything. And then in 2014, uh, so the, the cool thing about down there is that they have what's called year-round school. And so they have different tracks. And for me, I was based, it was on like a track four. So my breaks, instead of having a full summer vacation, I would have breaks every nine weeks and they were about three and a half weeks long. And so for me, I was on my Christmas vacation on my track out, was visiting with a best friend of mine here and she lived in Fair Lakes at the time. Uh, and she was going out to hang out with a, a couple of friends of hers. And that's actually how I met Brian. And the funny story about that is that Brian and I both grew up in the Centerville area. We went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school. Never knew each other, ever. And it, actually, is there an age difference at all? Yeah. So I am, we're this three years. So I'm 35, Brian's 38. Okay. And so what's funny is actually the one place that I was living at, his, my next door neighbor was actually a best friend of his. And Brian was over there all the time. But... I still never even really knew who he was. Ironic. It's, it is. It's very ironic. So it's cool that like later on, like we we figured out, hey, like we we had this life simultaneously, right. never really knowing like who we were, <laughs> who each other met up. And then in 2017 is when we got married. So we've been married for about five and a half years and we've been together for about eight. So, Yeah. And you have two kids we have two with kids. each other. Yes, we have two kids with each other. We have a 14-month-old boy 
an almost five-year-old girl, and then a 12-year-old. 12-year-old girl is my bonus daughter. So. And you said education field. So what are you doing now? So right now I'm being a stay-at-home mom. God bless all you stay-at-home moms because <laughs> it is a hard, <laughs> it's a hard job. Unfortunately, my kid, my our youngest kiddo has just been in this cycle of respiratory illnesses where he's been in and out of the hospital since Christmas. This is he was just admitted for his sixth time like two weeks ago. It's just respiratory illnesses kind of take a toll on his lungs and he just needs the extra support. So it's become routine for us at this point, but yeah. <clears throat> All right. So you were a teacher before the stay-at-home mom part. Yes. Yeah, so I worked not necessarily a teacher, okay. but it was more, I was an instructional assistant okay. and I worked right. in special education. Okay. So, yeah. What, what kind of populations did you work with a special education? Oh, it was a mixture. I had kids that had Down syndrome, kids that had CP, kids that had autism. And I worked a little bit doing some ABA therapy mm -hmm. stuff before, actually before I decided that I was going to stay home fully. So we have a little bit of that in common because I my job prior to the fire department mm -hmm. was a, I had done applied behavior analysis through George Mason and worked as a behavior consultant. Okay, so very cool. I would cool. have been that yeah. guy that came into your school to, to work with yeah. you and tell you, not tell you, but kind of teach you how to work with the kids. Yeah, so I did the the implementing part. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, we that's in a different world. We could have worked together. Yeah. All right. So how's it been being married to a firefighter? Because um, pretty sure that's the bones, of, the meat and potatoes of what we want to talk it about. It is. I will say... It, it it gets to be a little difficult at times, a little lonely sometimes, especially when it's holidays and things. He misses out on them. And I apologize in advance if you hear me choking up on the show. I'm a little bit of a crybaby. Don't worry. I choked up on the show plenty of times. I actually choked up on Brian's episode. Oh, he's been in the fire department how long? Oh, gosh. I think 19 years total. Yeah, because he had around about volunteer yeah. and now the he had volunteer service. and career. Yeah. What are the what are some of the things? Because I know we we talked on the phone and we have a list of things that you wanted to discuss. Sure. What are some of the things that stand out to you on a global scale, though, for him and you as as firefighter and spouse? So I think so. One of the reasons I even wanted to come on uh, this show is I've obviously listened to a few of your episodes. Um, I'm still like working my way through them, and I've listened to a few even with Brian in the car. And he, him and I had talked about what it would be cool if I just maybe came on or if you even did it from the perspective of having a spouse or a loved one with somebody in the fire service that is dealing with mental health. So it's more so to not just help or raise the, or raise the awareness of those firefighters that are going through the mental health stuff, but it's also just to see the other side and see where the spouses and the loved ones play that part or how, how they may feel. Because I think that's the other component to the support part of it. What do you mean by that? So I will say it's very hard, I think, to watch Brian go through some of the things that he goes through with his, and I'm sure he's he's pretty open about having the anxiety and the depression. And of course, parts of the job create this sort of PTSD or people in the, or military or police, obviously. And so I just think it's hard to be the spouse or the loved one of somebody that they struggle daily with those things and they have this frustration or this anger and they don't know how to really channel it properly or how to deal with it properly. And then that kind of trickles down and affects, I think, those spouses and those loved ones and the kids in the home. I feel sometimes Brian will talk about sometimes like how he feels that he's inadequate as maybe a, a spouse or as a dad or even just as an employee in the fire service. And he always feels, I think, that he needs to be the person or surpass this expectation that people think of him. Do you think that goes along the lines of something I've talked about quite a bit with people is that being a fixer for us? I, I definitely think that is, yes, being the fixer. I feel like it is natural for people in the fire service, people in public service, to naturally want to help people, but to not necessarily always do that for themselves. Oh, yeah. So, we don't like to yeah. ask for help. No, uh -uh, we don't like to. It took me years to ask for help, so yeah. we don't like to ask for help. Yeah. yeah. So you, you guys start dating 
in 2015-ish. 2014, 2015. Yeah, so it was like December 2014, January like 2015. So it's like right around that time. So he's yeah. in the middle of a career already. When do you start seeing some stuff? So obviously like the the first year of dating is always like that that honeymoon phase or it's there's these like small fights about probably more so for me just about my own insecurities from like past relationships but it's the stupid stuff but I feel like even just with that first year you're still like oh like we're so in love and blah blah text every day right. and you're you're the last no you hang up first no you hang up first you know, like that whole like first year of dating type I don't think it was really until probably a few months or so before we got married when I really started to notice that the alcohol thing was more of a self-medicating thing rather than a hey we're just kind of you know, hanging out and having a good time how do you differentiate I had noticed that he would start to get angry or upset about certain things that to me, didn't seem like a big deal, right? And I think that's where I was like, hey, what are, like, what is, what is really going on? And, and then eventually he told me like, yeah, I, I had seen a therapist for a little bit. Like I do struggle with this. He, at that point he had told me, cause I was like, well, what is going on? And so he did tell me like, he tried therapy. He was, he was taking some medication. He had talked to the doctor and I was like, okay, are you still seeing a therapist? And he's like, no, because I tried that route and it just wasn't for me. And I was like, I don't, and, I will say. And I know that yeah. for, for those of you who haven't listened to Brian's episode, it's much, it's, it's, it's worth going back and listening to to fill in these gaps because yeah. Brian's open about the fact that he did go to this doctor. He did go to therapy mm -hmm. to start. He didn't like it. He wasn't honest. Yeah. He, he went on meds that he it just didn't do anything for him, but he mm -hmm. felt like he had to be on the meds because mm -hmm. they prescribed him. And so that's where that kind of, that's kind of the, the dual timelines there, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. in that time period. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we'll fast forward a little bit to, so this, so when we had, when he had finally talked to me about the mental health stuff and him being on the medication and him going to see a therapist and it wasn't really working for him. And, and here I was, and at the time I didn't necessarily understand the full extent of mental health. And I still don't. And I think a lot of people still don't. But I think for me, like at the time, I would use the, hey, you're acting this way. Like you need to go take your medication. You need to go see somebody. And it was the way that I worded it that was awesome. It was just mean. And I think it was more so because I was just angry because of the way that he was acting and but he didn't necessarily have a way to cope with like how he was acting right. because I think there are not necessarily that the behavior was okay, but I don't know. I guess it was just, it's just one of those things, right? Like, how, I don't know. I, I feel like a terrible person now looking back saying those things to him. Now, there are sometimes now when I say I just reword it in a different way so that it doesn't seem like I'm being such a jerk to him or being or saying it out of anger. At least this point at this time, it comes from, you know, a loving place and like a, hey, I want you to do this because it's more so I need you to get the help. I need you to do what you need to do in order for us in our family right. to be okay. But yeah, so fast forward a little bit. So like I said, that was like November 2016. And then we got married in March of 2017. And not long after that, we found out that we were going to be expecting our first kid together. And so obviously there's this first, this thing of like first year marriage where first year marriage is very hard to navigate. Just have just these new stresses of like you're living together, like you're starting to share your your finances. Now add, we're also now having a kid. Right. So we're going to be having a baby here come November. And it, it was pretty stressful. And he, I think, was still going through a lot of those things. And Brian, being an only child, has, I, I won't say that he doesn't always think about other people. But I think at that time, like he was still very selfish. I think he talked about that himself. Yeah. So he, he was still a little bit selfish in that aspect. And so I think the drinking thing was still a little bit of a self-medicating and a, hey, like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. Meanwhile, here I am. I'm, like, pregnant. And so at that time, like, I felt like our first year of marriage and our my pregnancy with our first kid felt a little lonely. Yeah. So, so how do you deal with it? Trying to talk to him, it was hard because it was a lot of fighting. Because I think for me, like, I had certain feelings about it. But for him, again, like he's going through something that I don't understand and he's trying to deal with it in his own way. But that self-medicating and that anger and that frustration comes out. And so it's, it was a lot of butting heads and there was a lot of 
us not communicating. And I think now that he's gone and he's tried to seek better therapy, he's gone and he's taken better routes to figure out his medication. Right now, he's not seeing a therapist. And you will hear again in his previous episode how right now he's working to find somebody new. But he will see the, I guess they have a new clinician with the city that he will meet with because I think they get eight sessions or something each fiscal year. So he's at least taking that route until he can find someone. But I think our communication, I think, is a little bit better. And again, we'll get a little bit into how that has progressed over the years. So the pregnancy is 2017. Yep, 2017. And you you kind of, I know that, again, when we talked and I have it in the notes here, you felt alone because not only were you pregnant in that first year of marriage, Mm -hmm. which, as you just said, is very stressful to begin with. And pregnancy is stressful, let's be honest. Yes. And I'm an emotional mess anyway. My hormones are like crazy. (laughs) Right. And then then work is stressful for him on top of everything else he has going on. So I know that you mentioned that he was battling a lot of anxiety, depression, and and the PTSD at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And he wasn't doing it, as he admits in his episode, he wasn't doing it the right way. Right. And he was self-medicating. Right. The baby comes. What What's it like after the baby? So I think even after she came, again, like my hormones are out of whack because I'm already going through postpartum. And so, again, I think there, I think that whole year to year and a half was just a lot of us fighting and not communicating about anything because again like he still wasn't right with the medications and being honest with me or even talking to me about anything that was that was detrimental to what was going on with his mental health yeah, I was going to um, ask, was he sharing anything about calls or any of the stressors from work? Because I, would, in he, his episode, he goes over a lot of calls that yeah. he experienced. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of trauma there before we even get to the big trauma. He didn't. Not He didn't talk to me about any of the big traumas. He would talk about the minor things that like he may have ran every once in a while. But it was nothing about the big stuff. Nothing about any of the car accidents or the suicides or the overdoses or any of that stuff that he that he saw day in and day out that he talked to me about. It was just the basic stuff. Yeah, so he's holding that. He's yeah. he's not dealing with his, with the previous traumas. He's holding in the, the new mm-hmm. traumas. Yeah. Added to now the stress of, and not to assign anything towards you, but no, no, added no. to the stress of, of what you're dealing with. Yeah. And so now you're both adding heaps on top of each other, not even, not intentionally necessarily, no. but it's just with a lack of true communication, mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So what's at what point does he start to realize or you both start to realize, okay, you got to do something different? I think it was, like I said, after that like year and a half, I was like, look, like we need to we need to figure out what's going on. Um, And in the previous episode, Brian talks about how when our daughter was born, the hospital was providing something called a Medimap. And at first, I didn't even know what a Medimap was. Yeah, that's I the just, first I heard yeah, about Yeah, I had just assumed it was maybe something that, like, would tell us if she was allergic to, like, certain medications. Like, I, I was honestly thinking maybe, like, antibiotics or mm-hmm. something. I didn't realize that it was for SSRIs. And when we got it back, I was like, oh, these are, like, these are medications for if she's got anxiety, depression, like, all of these things. I was like, okay, this is still a really cool thing to have, especially later on, because they take a blood sample. And I said, the good thing about this is that we know what doesn't work for her, but if I ever need to go to somebody and be on medication, or this is good for you, too, because you are taking SSRIs at this point. You're taking this Lexapro, and this Lexapro is not working. And that's when we were like, hey, you know what? Let's go back to this mini map. It doesn't work for her. Like she's red flagged that it would never work. So they would have to go to a different classification of medication for her to take. And I was like, you know what? But you're on Lexapro and I, you've been taking it and I haven't seen a difference. So maybe it doesn't work for you either. And so he said, that's a good point. And so he took that upon himself that, you know, the next time he did find a therapist, he talked to them about it. And they medimapped him, and sure enough, Lexapro was a red flag for him. And they put him on something different. So I think he's on Pristique now, and he's been taking that for a little while. And it seems to do okay. We still have a little bit of the frustration and the anger sometimes. And he talks about his non-traumatic triggers, something about it's not necessarily the traumas that he sees on the job, 
but it's something as simple as dishes being in the sink. And he doesn't know why it necessarily always bothers him, but it does. And so I try to be a little bit more mindful of certain things that might set him off just because I want it to be not, I don't want to, I don't want to say crazy, but not, not to where he's having, I don't know, what's the word for it? <laughs> Are you talking about setting him up for failure? Yeah, like that. On the other hand, Dirty dishes are, are, that's a byproduct of life with two kids, two, it, two kids under three. It is. Yeah, it is. No. So actually it's not three, it's five. <laughs> so I can't do math. I'm a fire. Yeah. If you count, you know, if you count the three we have plus him and the dog. You know, right. Yeah. yeah we did it. that. We yeah. did that math early. You yeah. got five kids in yeah. there. I think at this time, once, once your daughter's born mm-hmm. is when he really starts to open up about the past mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. So what's that like to, to sit there and go, oh, wait a second. There is some, there's some serious shit here. I, it was hard to listen to. It still is hard to listen to. But I think his biggest turning point in really wanting to get better for himself and to use, to be an advocate for mental health for other people was Matt. Yeah. So again, if you haven't listened to Brian's episode, Matt's story is where things turn for, actually for both Brian and myself in a, in a way. And that's where I met Brian. I think, it's, I think it was for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Especially in this area. Yes. Because it, it hit people. It was eye opening to some people. Yeah. So uh, you want to give a little history of, of Matt and Brian and how, what they were like, you know, as kids and as young adults. So, so I, I didn't know Matt a whole lot. I had a few interactions with Matt where Brian and I, like a group of people out. So we were out, you know, Matt and I had some interactions, some conversations with groups of people. Matt was at our wedding along with his family. And, you know, I, I had talked to him a little bit at his brother Kevin's, but life just gets in the way sometimes. And Mm. yeah. And so I think for Brian and Matt, they were still friends, grew apart a, a little bit just because life happened, right? And COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, COVID, um, COVID was like thing. a huge thing. Right. And but Brian and Matt, like every time they would get together, it was like they had never stopped hanging out. It's like they didn't miss a beat. So I think their friendship was still something that both of them still really cherished. And Brian and Matt were, were best friends and Matt's brother, Kevin, best friends. But like I said, life got in the way and them hanging out more often just fell to the wayside a little bit. I know from talking to Brian, it's marriage, kids, yeah. COVID. Yeah. Matt's daughter is special needs. So he was, he was busy with busy, that yeah. and in his own life. For sure. You know, yeah. so it's a natural progression for some of that to fall off. But, right. but right. from what I heard about the two of them, it was that friendship where, okay, we mm-hmm. pick it back up. You, you know exactly where you left it off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that was, like I said, that was, that was it. You know, I just, I only, I didn't have a whole lot of interaction with Matt, but what I did have with Matt was always a good experience, you know? And I will say the day that Brian found out about Matt, I was at work. I was working, like I said, in special education. So I was working in a classroom at the time. And usually Brian will, if he needs something, or he would just like text myself or call my cell phone. And on my lunch break, I would just call him back and Hey, what's up? You know, what do you need? Particularly this day, I was in the middle of my class and the office buzzes me. Hey, Jess, call. You need to call your husband. I'm like, Brian doesn't ever do that. And I was like, oh, no. Like, what happened? Like, it it has got to be like an emergency. Like, I'm thinking like something's wrong with the kids. So I call him and He's like, I don't know. I don't know how to tell you. And he just, he can't get the words out. And I'm like, what is going on? I need you to tell me, is it the kids? Like what happened? And he said, and he told me what happened with Matt. And I was like, okay. And I did not even hesitate. Like I, I was like, okay, I'm coming home because I knew that what that was doing to him and it wasn't going to be good for me to leave him home with our kids. And so just, just so the audience is clear, yeah. if they haven't listened to Brian's episode, and this is a very serious term because Matt Matt has killed himself. He's decided to end his life, and, and Brian got that call that day, yeah. tell, informing him what was going on. Actually got the call before he probably should have gotten the call because I don't think the news was really out Mm-mm, yet. It wasn't. And so you come home. Yeah. What do you find? So Brian, I he went out to the garage. I I got the kids settled. I went out of the garage with him and he hugged me and he literally 
just broke down. And Brian is not a crier unless it is something like serious, emotionally tolling. And that was I had never seen Brian cry so hard ever. And so at that point, I was just like, look, whatever you need to do, you do. And he was on the phone. He was talking to a lot of other people that had heard what had happened. He was waiting for a call from the family to have that conversation with them as well. And then fast forward a little bit, Matt's funeral happened. And I will say a couple of weeks before that, we had just announced that we were pregnant with our second kid. Yeah. Quite a juxtaposition right there. Yeah. So while it's supposed to be a happy time for Brian, it is also a sad time because he just lost a friend of his. And I think the the sadness and the depression took over a little bit of that happiness at the time. And at that point, I, I think for him, he recognized he was a little bit in a bad in a bad place and had talked to a couple of people at work. And there was somebody at work that had recommended the Center of Excellence because their spouse had gone through the Center of Excellence and they had seen what the Center of Excellence did right. for each one of them and had reached out to me and said, if this, if they recommend inpatient for Brian, I recommend that he go. Like, we'll be here to help you with whatever you need. Like I said, at that time, I was pregnant. And so Brian had this conflicting, what do I do? Do I go to inpatient if they recommend it for me? Which they did recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he opted like, hey, can you just have somebody do virtual therapy? Because he didn't feel right trying to go to therapy inpatient and not knowing when that, how long that therapy was going to last. Right. And he didn't want to leave me home alone pregnant and then to take care of two kids and to still work and to take care of the house. Like, he just didn't want to put all of that on me. It's a lot. Yeah, it, it is. So he did try and talk to somebody virtually. I think he met with them like every week or every two weeks. And Brian will talk about how, and I I still think he isn't always honest with his therapist about things because he doesn't feel comfortable talking to them. He hasn't found a connection with them. And you and I had talked and I had said, I don't know what that connection is. And you had said, sometimes we don't know what that connection is until it happens. And so I think he's still trying to find someone that he, that he feels a connection with. And he just hasn't, he hasn't found that in a therapist. Yeah. And he's, he was very open about the fact that he's not honest with a therapist. It's, and it's, I don't know if it's not a, I've talked to a couple of people and it's not, okay, I'm, I'm never going to be honest to the, to anybody, but it's the fact that it's hard to be honest to a therapist because some of what you're going to say in that honesty is, is shocking. Mm-hmm. And if they're not ready for it, yeah, you're not going to get, the, you're not going to get the replies you want. Yeah. So I did, you know, in my own case, I just got lucky that the second person I saw was ready to hear it all. Yeah. It's tough to find that therapist that you connect with. How long does it take to, after Matt to come back around? It affected a lot of people. Like it, we just it, said, it, it was yeah, a, it, it was the, and I've told the story, I told the story in Brian's episode. He was the fifth suicide of a, mm-hmm. of a firefighter, whether it's volunteer or career in our metro area in a year. Yeah. And so it started to open up some eyes because people did, never realized how many had actually killed themselves in just this area in a year. Mm-hmm. And that's just what reported as suicide. You know, I don't know how many actually were added onto that. So some changes start happening. Some there's more there's people being more vocal. And I know Brian was part of that after that. It was probably like I said, he was he had reached out to the Center of Excellence and was talking to somebody at the Center of Excellence. And while he wasn't necessarily forthcoming with everything and honest with everything, I think it was shortly after maybe our son was born. And Brian will also talk about how Matt's birthday is the twenty second of July and our son was born the twenty third of July. So he does have a little bit of, he says, that hypervigilance around that. And on one hand, he was hoping that Jackson and Matt would have the same birthday. But on the other hand, he didn't want that because he didn't want to constantly be put back in that place. It's a weird way yeah. to celebrate and remember. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, I think it was shortly after our son was born and he really started. I know he had talked to you a little bit afterward and he had really started to look into more of these like your podcast and more into some of these other, I guess, supporting, I don't want to say businesses, but like nonprofit organizations that also support mental health. And you'll see a lot on his his Instagram and his Facebook. He promotes a lot about mental health now. And one of the things is that Travis House came 
at one point, just this past year in March, I believe, was the first time that Brian went. And that was when he was here in Prince William County. And he said, man, I like had I known that I could have brought you, I totally would have brought you because it was such a great, I guess he put things into perspective that maybe Brian had always wanted to say, but couldn't. And so he had gone to that one and then he's president of his local. So there was, I think, a conference that he went to that Travis had gone to also in Woodbridge. Was it Woodbridge or was it? I wanted to say it was it was the Virginia delegation, right? That, Maybe. Yeah. yeah. There was it was something in Woodbridge. So I know he was there. So he went there. So that was his second show he went to. And and for people that might not yeah. be aware of Travis, um, it's the the seminar he does is called Post Traumatic Purpose, I believe. Yes. And it's a tour he does and Travis is a is a an electric speaker. He's a he's a former firefighter from Charleston and he was on that the uh, oh he wasn't on but he had friends and coworkers that were killed in the Charleston fire and the super the sofa fire and he was part of the team that went in and extricated some of the uh, the fallen from that fire and he had many other things that he's dealt with and so his whole purpose is you you find life after the trauma and that's his story and so that's mm -hmm. what he brings when you're discussing yeah. that that conference mm -hmm. and and so there was one that O'Brien was like hey he's coming to Fishersville and he had come to Prince William like the following week, but we couldn't attend because we had something prior that prior engagement we had we had scheduled. But we went to the one in Fishersville and it was really eye opening. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about why Brian doesn't talk about some of the things. And one of the things that he said is we tend to not talk about it because we don't think that our spouses, our loved ones can relate. And so while he may talk to his crew about things, and that's one thing, you know, is that I'm like, man, Brian always talks to these other people about stuff, but he yeah. doesn't ever talk to me about anything. And so that right there was like, oh, he doesn't want to talk to me because he doesn't think I can relate to him. Mm -hmm. So he talks to all these other people from work because they're in the same boat. They understand it. And he doesn't think I do. And and I even told him afterwards, I was like, look, you've seen him like three times, right? And all three times that you've seen him at these shows, you still don't talk to me. And he's because it's hard to because like he tells you, you just can't relate to me the way that people in the fire service can. I'm like, I get it. But one of the things that Travis does say is talk to your loved ones, talk to your spouses. They need to understand the good, the bad, the ugly. And so we're trying to work through that. I know he's working on it. He's been open a little bit more recently about things we now try and take some time like after we put the kids to bed for him and I to just sit and hey talk to me like what's going on I know he's trying some own like some of his own coping mechanisms so for him he likes to just go and sit in the garage and listen to music and sometimes when he goes out there I give him a little bit of time I'll go put the kids to bed and then I'll come out and hang out with him and I'll, if he wants to talk he, he'll talk to me and if not I just I let him it, it Sometimes he tells me, sometimes it's nice just to have you sit and hang out with me and to not really, to not have to talk about stuff. Right. I'm like, okay, I get it. So he's trying his own things to give himself some time to go through whatever he needs to go through. But what what do you think the ideal, I don't I guess style would be for you, not for him, for you. In terms of what? So of him coming home and, and. Living what, what he's been through or what he needs. Really? That's it? I think it's just the, we have to have that communication aspect because if I don't know what happened and why you're in a bad mood that day, sure, you might be in a bad mood, but that still doesn't excuse the fact that you're in a bad mood and that you may snap at me or snap at the kids. I think it's okay for a spouse to, even with a loved one that has mental health or goes through it and lives with it daily. It's okay for you to still have boundaries with that and to say, hey, what you're doing is not okay. I don't accept the be. But what can we do to change that? What can I do to help you so that this doesn't happen? And so that's really my thing is like, just we just have to talk about it. I get that he may not always want to talk about it, but at some point we need to, right? <laughs> like. Also, let's add to that a little bit. What? How much is too much? Because that's a fine line. Because yeah. for speaking from my own experience, I know that I can talk to a coworker about 
for example, we just had a fire and I told you, I, I saw Brian on the, on this fire the mm -hmm. other day. Yeah. The, my unit was first in and, and the first thing we did was pull out three dogs from this fire. Mm -hmm. And so how much is too much to come home and say, tell you about this and that, and, or just to say, hey, I had a rough fire. What, what, what is that? Not an expectation, but what, what is that minimum level that you would want to hear? So that, so I think that's when we talk about everybody's trauma is different and what they react to is different. And I think for the spouse or the loved one of the person that is, has someone that deals with this mental health on a daily basis, it's also whatever your comfort level is too. Mm -hmm. I think you have to, you have to set your own boundary. So you have to say, Hey, I, I understand that you may deal with, you know, X, Y, and Z, these tragic car accidents where people die and they've got brains all over. If you don't want to hear about, that's fine. But that's when you say, hey, this is not, I, I can't hear about that because I myself can't take that. But that's definitely something that you need to go and, and speak with your therapist about and talk about that. For me, I'm fine with Brian telling me whatever he needs to tell me. I think he still just doesn't understand. And I, I think he wants to shield me from some mm. of the stuff, That's, which is I was fine. curious yeah. about that because I think we yeah. all do that. Yeah. I think he wants to shield me a little bit from the gruesome stuff that he deals with because he doesn't, maybe he feels like he's putting that burden on me. I was going to say, it's almost yeah. like transferring a trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I'm okay with it, right? Because in order for him to get better, in order for our family to still work cohesively and to support him in his mental health journey, I think that's important. So for me, it's fine. Like I, I'm fine with whatever he wants to, right. whatever he wants to talk about. But So ideally your approach would be, let's at least just talk about it. Right. At some yeah. level, yeah. talk, let me know, A, I had a yeah. rough day. And then if you want to go into any details about right. why it was a rough yeah. day. Absolutely. And I think that's going to be, and I, the reason I ask that is because yeah. I think that's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe another spouse would be, listen, I only, just tell me you had a rough day and I know to leave you alone. Right. Because I don't need right. to hear about the, 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 like you said, the brain matter splattered right. on the right. ground. Right, right, right. Not many people really need to hear about that. No. Nobody needs to no. see it, especially, but. But I get kind of, you might want a little more in depth just so you get a little more, I don't know, background to the story. Right, right. So, so I don't mean to be gruesome, but. Yeah, we've had a but, lot yeah. a lot more gruesome on this yeah, show, so yeah. I'm not worried about it. What do you need from him in general? So I, I really think it's just the communication and the like, hey, I'm having this tough time. Like, I need this space. And not to, not to say that you know that Brian's like a terrible person or a terrible husband or a terrible dad or you know, any of that there have been times where Brian and I he's been in a, in a mood and he's come home and I'm like why are you and you know and I'll immediately go off on him and he will just take his keys and he'll just go and I don't I don't hear from him and I'm like where did you go and usually it it might be a bar because again he's doing a little bit still of that self-medicating and trying to take that time because sure he had a rough day and he didn't know how to process it and so he came in and he started in on me and then I started in on him and it's okay nope and then he needs that time and like I said it's not that he's a terrible dad or a terrible husband or anything but I've told him I'm like you cannot do that because we have to sit here and we have to have this conversation even if we need 10 or 15 minutes to regroup and then we come back and we talk about it fine that's fine you know, but I also don't want to be the one that says when the kids are like, hey, where did daddy go? Yeah. Like, what do I tell them? And I think that there are some times where I do have to be that person because our one year, our one year old and our four year old, almost five year old don't understand the aspect of mental health. Our 12 year old, we're starting to open her up mm -hmm. to some of that because she is in middle school and she is going to start to deal with some of these things. And we think it's important for her to to understand, hey, when your dad comes home, it's not it's not because he's mad at you. It's not, you know, a lot of it is just the mental health aspect of it. And we want her to be aware of that. Because she's a little bit older, she can understand. That adds so, a whole nother layer because yeah. we talk about what's okay and quote unquote what's yeah. okay for you to hear. Right. What the fuck is okay for a 12-year-old to hear? Right, That's right. even deeper and yeah. even tougher. Yeah. So we, I tell, Brian doesn't really talk to the 12-year-old about calls, but we have talked to her just in terms of, hey, if you are feeling a certain way, like, 
we are open for you to come and talk to us about anything that you want to come and talk to us about. Because like I said, it's middle school. Mm. There's a lot going on. There's emotions. There's, and this day and age, like kids have access to so much more stuff because of yeah. cell phones. I was going to say, I don't want to go through middle school nowadays. No. It was rough enough way back when. Yes. And because she has access now to all of these things, she does have, but, and I think every parent's different, but for us, we have some level of trust in her that she's going to do the right thing with her phone. But at the same time, every once in a while, we're like, hey, let me see those text messages. And we've also talked to her about if a child says, one of her friends says, like, they're going to hurt themselves or whatever, like, that is something that you have to take Mm -hmm. seriously. And that is something that you need to come and tell an adult immediately. Even if you don't feel comfortable going to your counselor or to the school, you at least need to tell us because that's a huge, that's a huge thing. It's a very adult yeah. thing to it hear is. and deal yeah. with. And, and a 12 yeah. year old is just not prepared for that. No, And unfortunately it, it happens that young. So let's go back to his episode. Sure. Cause I know that some of that stuff was probably new to you. Mm-hmm. So what was it like listening to his episode? And did you guys listen together? Or did you, did you listen separate? No, I actually, I listened separately because I was on my way to do something one day and when his episode dropped. So I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to it in the car on the way. There was a lot of stuff in there that he talked about that I knew, but in terms of like the traumatic calls, like he had never shared any of that with me. He had never really shared where the internalization of things had started and how that had started at such a young age. And looking back at it, like over the course of the, of our relationship, I see, okay, the internalization thing, he has done that. Like I said, the feelings of inadequacy has come with some of that. Right. And 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 I probably am not 100% helpful in that because I am very, I'm a very type A personality. And so for me, there's a lot of things, like especially with the kids, like I have a routine with what I do with them when we get up and breakfast, lunch, and dinner and getting them off to school and whatever. And for him, when he's got the kids, he may do it a completely different way. And so then my first thing is, hey, did you do this? And if he misses one step, he automatically is, oh, I didn't do it. And it's not that to necessarily make him feel that way, but it's just how he perceives that. So hearing about that internalization yeah. helped you realize what yeah. that's what it's yeah. about or where it comes from, at mm-hmm. least. Yeah. Was there a... Was there a discussion with you guys after the after you listened to it? Do you say, did you sit down together and talk? About- I did tell wherever it was that I, I didn't remember where I was going that day, but I listened to it. And then another day I had texted him and I was like, hey, he was at work. I was like, hey, like I, I sat down and I listened to, I listened to your podcast again. And, and he's like, what made you listen to it a second time? I said, I just, I think it just helps me understand a little, you know, about him. Because like I said, there are things that, he didn't necessarily talk to me about. There's things that he still doesn't talk to me about, but he will say it's a process. One thing I say is that, you know, I married him and I took vows. And one of the things like, I think people are so caught up in the marriage aspect of, oh, it's our day. Like we're getting married, blah, blah, blah. They don't actually take to heart the vows that they say to each other. And so for me, like the vows, like super important in that whole, for better or worse, and that's what I try and do for him. Let's take this a step further. Sure. You, you're a spouse of mm-hmm. a firefighter. You've been through some, for lack of a better word, you've been through some shit with him. Uh-huh. You've listened to his episode. You've had a discussion. What his mental health history is like. Yeah. Let's let's take this and what advice do you give spouses, men or women that are spouses to firefighters? What what advice would you give them? What What kinds of, I don't know guidelines would you say oh, this will make th- this easier so i think it i think a lot of it is patience i think a lot of it is one of the things brian and i talked about was even me maybe just going and seeking somebody to talk to because the families in the house like they they feel the anger and the frustration and and what goes on and i think it's important for them to still be able to to talk about it and that what's one of the things is for me i'm actually a, a very private person when it comes to like my relationship with brian because i feel like well you the know, privacy that, is out the window yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's one of the things like i'm completely out of my comfort level right now no but i typically keep that to brian and i i have one or two friends that if I need to vent, I talk to, but that's about it, right? It doesn't go outside of those one or two friends that I talk to. But I think with the mental health aspect of it, it's definitely important for me and Brian has suggested. And it's one of those things that I've actually taken upon myself to 
try and figure out which which therapist do I actually need to go to to talk about it? Do I need to go see a marriage counselor? Do I need to go see a family counselor? Do I need to see just a regular therapist to talk about things? Because at the same time, I also want to, excuse me, I'm going to cough, to talk to them about what are some coping mechanisms that I can do or what are some things that I can do to provide support to him dealing with mental health? Yeah, it's interesting. What what yeah. what specialty do you talk to? It's almost like do you do you find someone that actually is a trauma specialist? Right. Because they can give you those specific, not specific to Brian, but specific to trauma. Mm -hmm. They can give you some guidelines specific to trauma. So that is an interesting yeah. question. Who do you see? And so I think part of it is like it's not only the patient's aspect, but I think it's a lot of a. Like I said, it's okay to set boundaries for what's okay for you to hear or what behavior you think is, is acceptable behavior is not acceptable behavior. But I think that's that goes for any relationship. I think it's also in how you word things. Like I said in the very beginning, I used to use those, you need to take your medication, you need to go see your therapist as like something out of anger and right. not really a place of love and support. So I think it's a lot of just how you reword. You don't necessarily have to tiptoe around everything, but I think it's a good idea just to be aware of what might trigger them. Like I said, I know what some of Brian's non-traumatic triggers are for when he comes home. I try my best to make sure that doesn't happen. It isn't always 100%. Yeah, like we said, life. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's the best advice I can give is just, like I said, being supportive, being open to hearing, being able to set your boundaries for what's okay. And then I myself even, because... Like I said, Brian is is on this mental health advocacy. I'm also trying to read a bunch of articles myself and learn a little bit about the anxiety, depression, the PTSD, other coping mechanisms, just until I can go see somebody, just doing my own research and ways that I can help and support him. And I think that's super important. Yeah, so. none of that is easy. No. And nothing is easy when it comes to mental. The, the hardest thing to do is to ask for help. And whether you're the one suffering with some issues or you're the one suffering with the fallout from someone else. Yeah, that's that's not easy at all. Anything you want to add to this discussion? Anything um, that, that we forgot to talk about? I don't think so. Like I said, I think I think a lot of people just don't realize or maybe they do realize and they're not comfortable coming forth and talking about it in being a spouse or a loved one with somebody that deals with mental health. But I think it's just, I don't know, it's important for you to be able to talk about it and for you to understand that it's okay to feel the way that you feel and that you're not the only, you're not the only person. I'm sure somebody out there feels the same way that I feel every day. And in the beginning, it is hard, but I think you just have to take the steps to try and improve what you can in your relationship for their mental health in your communication, in your support. And yeah. All right. So let's get to my famous two questions. <laughs> okay. And famous is a joke because they're not famous at all. Okay. Um, the show name of the show is the things we all carry. Mm -hmm. And I've gone into it before why I call it that, but I like to ask everybody about an everyday carry something that you like to have on you every day. And if you're not, if you don't have it with you, you feel naked, you feel lost without. Oh, okay. Obviously, I carry my cell phone everywhere, but I think for me, my biggest thing is if I don't have my wedding rings on, I feel super, okay. whoa, like what's going on? But again, that just goes back to that whole vow thing. Like I, I vowed to 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 love you and support you in sickness and in health, and that's what I'm doing. I will take both of those. Yeah. All right. And now a book. I want. I always ask a guest to suggest a book. Um, if there's not a book, a movie, a podcast, a person, something to, to help audience discover something new. Oh, man. So I <laughs> I used to like reading a long time ago before I was in school and then I was forced to read stuff <laughs> that I didn't want to read. So I don't really have a book because I don't do a whole lot of reading. I probably should pick that back up. But I will say, obviously, your podcast is phenomenal. I like I said, I appreciate what you do for for all of these people, for all of the whether it be fire, police, just everybody, public service. Your podcast is awesome. But I will say, uh, and I think Brian touched on this too. Brian liked the Travis Howes book. Mm -hmm. I have not read it, but I have been listening to some of Travis Howes' podcasts. And that is also a really good one because he talks about both sides, both the being the one dealing with the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression, going through what he went through. But he also puts into perspective a little bit about how the spouses feel because he obviously has a wife and kids and she's got her own you know, 
her own way that she probably deals with stuff. And he he touches a little bit on his relationship with his wife and his kids and how his triggers were and some of what his wife maybe has said, hey, like, how can I help you? You know, yeah, I think definitely the Travis House podcast is something good to listen to. Yeah. And I'll, <clears throat> I'm going to add on to the, to the trigger, not the triggers part, but the, uh, sure. the how to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's very important. And I think that you and I talked about it when we first spoke on the phone. Mm-hmm. It's not, you can't force somebody to get that help. It, it's when they make that decision that they finally need the help for themselves. And that help for themselves will then trickle down to, to help everybody else. Right. But until they're ready, just like Brian says, he's he's not honest with some of the therapists because he's just not ready to talk to them specifically. He might be in a spot where he's ready to talk, but once you, until you find that person you're ready to talk to, it's right. not going to do anything. Right. And so it's being patient, letting people know how it affects you as a spouse or mm-hmm. a family member, yeah. and so they can hopefully start to find that help for themselves. Yeah. For sure. All right. We've been going for about an hour. Okay. And uh, I appreciate it. It was a good yeah. conversation. Thanks for sitting down and sharing yeah. your thoughts. Of course. All right. We'll end it there. Okay. All right. We're out. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.